Hello Very and good. welcome to Stripping the Dipping. You're joined by your usual co-host, Denzel Clarkson, aka the Smooth Operator. And um, well, I'm managing a code, but I'm going to continue to soldier through because I know you're going to dig this. Because today we have quite a special guest and uh, he's a smooth, he's very smooth, almost smooth as a smooth criminal. He plays in the sunshine and he likes to play in the moonlight, but you can't blame it on the boogie. And he's in charge of the rhythm and he certainly gives us a thriller. So you might be wondering why I'm talking in riddles and I was hoping that you might get a hint from some of those. But this is because it's legend, this guy, like this guest is so legendary for us. Michael Jackson actually named him Sugarfoot. So... Guys, it's the one, it's the only, Jonathan Sugarfoot Moffat. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I know it's a very tight schedule today, but how have you been keeping recently? Uh, first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. and I'm doing very well today. I'm very, very, uh, very good. I'm working on my music in the studio to bring to the fans. And um, I got a lot of things, in other words, is in store. That's why my schedule is so busy. Uh, um, videos, new videos coming towards you. So I'm loving being busy after so much uh, downtime with COVID, which uh, you know pretty much stopped everybody on Earth's career and lives. So it's a wonderful thing to be busy again. That's so true. And definitely, we're really happy, you know, from our perspective that, you know, you're being kept busy. And obviously, that life has almost resumed in a way. And there's so many opportunities and new things to be excited about as well. So um, without further ado, Jonathan, um, I'd like to start this conversation by going maybe a bit back in time, you know, back in 1979. I'm sure that you've got a lot of positive memories of back in the, uh, the Jackson Destiny tour in the year of 79, with all the Hollywood buzz and excitement back then as well. What, I, what we wanted to find out from you, Jonathan, was how did your musical journey begin? And how did you end up working with Michael Jackson and getting such an awesome nickname? Well, I'm going to need about three hours for that. Man. <laughs> we have woo day. <laughs> We're here for it. It's, it's, but I only have a few minutes. But it's a very mystical, magical. And you and when you do hear the story, I have to explain it another time in more detail. It, you will believe in miracles and you will get chills on your arm just like everybody else when I tell the full stories. But it takes so much time to do that now. And to overview, I just took a chance and drove out to California because J Michael's brother, Jermaine Jackson, heard me on a band's tape from New Orleans that I was with. And he said, who's that drummer? So a friend of mine that was from New Orleans that moved out here. And he told him my name. And Jermaine said, get him out here. I want to work with him. Well, in the, uh, that was in the middle of January 1979. And so I, um, I was supposed to meet with Jermaine and kept getting delayed. His schedule was busy, like pretty much like mine is now. And I never got to meet with him. In the meantime, I, I ran into, uh, I got lost on a freeway, I ran into a friend of mine uh, um, named James McField, who happened to be the musical director for the Jackson Brothers. And, and so uh, I ran into him by mistake, taking the wrong freeway, the wrong, and found his exit name and got off at the freeway and got to a red light. This is the... the uh, uh, abbreviated version of it. Got to a red light after I got off the freeway. I saw the name of his street. I said, that's Norman Allen. That's where James lived. I got to get off now. I'll never find it again because I happened to find it by chance getting lost on freeways. So I said, I'll never find it again. I'm going to get off here. And um, um, I got to find my way back to where I was staying. You know, I was lost. So got off at that exit, turned right, pull up to a red light, and there was James on a payphone. I was at all the blocks and streets and homes on all those streets that run like 30 miles. I said, I don't know his address. I just know Normandy Avenue. I said, I'm going to find him. I said, I'll just drive up 
and down the boulevard, Normandale Avenue, I should say, and, and just get familiar with it a little bit. So if I can find my way back here, I know what it looks like. I turn right at the, after getting off the freeway exit, pull up to the light, and looked over to the left, and he was on the pay, pay phone. Is that miraculous oh. or what? Just I didn't have to search for him. Just didn't have to search for him. He was right there, and I said, "James, James Backfield." And he turned around and looked and said, "Foot." He called me Foot. Foot, foot <laughs> is that you? And I said, "Yes, yes." So he told me to go down to the middle of the block. You know, full of the middle of the block. I lived there, and I pulled up down there, parked, and we were so glad to see each other. We hadn't seen each other in many, many years. And I went in and he started telling me all these exciting stories about he just got back from Trinidad with the uh, with the Jacksons and it was on a beach, set up on the beach for a concert on the beach. That sounded exciting and thrilling to me. And I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. So he's relating all these touring stories. And then I got excited, so excited. I said, wait, wait, James, James. I said, I know that the uh, drummer for the Jacksons is from the Jackson Five is their cousin, Johnny Jackson. I said, but if they ever need a drummer, Please tell him that I'm in town because he had been telling them about me since 75 when he first moved out there and he had joined them in 75 and I moved out there in January 79. So he said all them years used to come brothers about you and stuff. So and finally I just told him, you know, look, I know the Jackson's drummer is their cousin, but if they ever need a drummer, tell him I'm in town and I'll be so excited to work with them. He started, he stopped, grabbed my arm and stopped me and said, oh, oh, sugar for sugar for guess what? I, can't, I said, what, what? He said, they let Johnny go and they're auditioning drummers right now. Is that a miracle or what? He said, but to, he said, and then he said, I said, oh, tell him, I mean, I'd love to do it. He said, wait, wait, today is the last day of auditioning. They've already got somebody coming in. They've been auditioning for two weeks. So I be, I, I proceeded to beg him, <laughs> said, just ask him, please, please just extend it today. Give me a chance. And he said, I'll do that. I'll go there tonight to rehearsals, the audition, and I'll ask them. And I'll tell them you're in town and you want a chance. He said, I'll call you later tonight. By 1130 that night, I'm in pacing. At, uh, I found my way back home. He showed me how to get back to where I was lost from. And uh, I was pacing around and finally the phone rang. And the gentleman whose house I was staying at temporarily, he called me to the room and said, this is a phone call. And I got on the phone and James McField said, the brothers have decided to give you a chance. Be at mother's house, Havenhurst, at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. They extended the audition. They're going to give you a chance. They want to hear you. And the rest is history. That's why I'm talking to you in this interview. Because wow. it all started from that point. That is such a good, like, feel-good story, Jonathan. And again, it just goes to show. I mean, you say it was miraculous. And I guess in certain aspects it was with you finding James kind of in that street as well. But at the same time, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you take leaps of faith, and obviously for you, it must have been a big leap of faith at that time to move all the way to California just for that kind of opportunity. And then for everything to fall together in such an organic way as well shows you that, you know, you can never give up. And if you keep optimistic, if you continue to kind of apply yourself and do the right things at the right time, then there's always going to be great opportunities. And I couldn't think of a better person, you know, that's happened to in that regard. So that's such an awesome story. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to take inspiration from that as well, Jonathan. So thank you for that. Um, 
to move to the next question, this actually this question is from a fan, and it's more just on the theme of dealing with performance anxiety. Because even for me, like I kind of relate to it in a sense, because I was gigging in a funk rock band for a couple of years playing guitar, and I always remember like having a few nerves before the start of the show and like trying to put that to the back of my mind, especially in the smaller venues, you know, where things are a bit more intimate in that way. And of course, like my experiences are only a microcosm compared to your experiences touring with the Jacksons. But it's well documented, Jonathan, that um, in some instances, you only had three days to learn the materials with the Jacksons when you're performing with them on stage. How do you recall that entire experience? And what was going through your mind when you were on stage? And what advice do you also have for like the young hoppers out there that are now trying to like, you know, make their moves on tour with uh, us moving away from the pandemic? Well, as a matter of mind over matter, as well as a matter of also uh, knowing the circumstance and the situation that you're in and equating it and evaluating it and making the, the, the strength of decision that you need to make. But mine was that when I first got on, like you said, I only had three days to learn everything. One of the other handicaps I had is, and I still have is I don't read music, so I can't make charts and write it all out to, to just basically read it through. And that'd be easy. I don't never learn how to read drum charts and stuff. So that was another dilemma I was in. Everything had to come from memory. Me listening, learning, absorbing it, and uh, digesting it mentally and emotionally, and then reproducing it or replicating it as it was that on the record. And um, as, or as close to that as possible with some embellishment of my own spirit on it. So I was, that's important as well in my energy. So uh, that's what I did. But the thing of mind on a matter matter statement means that when you know you're in a tight and a very delicate and a very uh, important situation that you're trying to achieve something, it's no time to get nervous. It's your worst time to get nervous. And if you've done this for a number of years, meaning playing your instrument and been on stage of any kind, you know what it takes already. Now, this is a higher level. You can get a little more nervous and more more intense about it but at the same time if you stay a statement like i did and i do uh this is no meaning this is no, not the time to get nervous because guess what when you get nervous what happens you make mistakes true you can't perform it correctly and when you make mistakes they think about the next person that could get to replace you because you make too many mistakes because you're nervous or they may not even know that you're nervous it's just that you're making mistakes and they can't have that on a professional level so my thing my model is that i'd say i'd say to myself I cannot make mistakes. There's no time to get nervous. Just do what you do, how you've done it before that got them interested in you. So, and give you the chance. So my thing was to concentrate very hard, block everything else in my life out. When a song has been chosen to play, learn, and I've already listened to the parts, just replicate the parts, duplicate it. And once you, you do it and they said, that was great or that was good, that was right. Then you make it, you lock spiritual memory as well. All I have to do like a Canon copier copy it copy it copy it every performance do the same thing same concentration same execution and you're good you have no problems no worries but you have to focus and concentrate and not allow yourself to think about the things and elements of it all that makes you nervous and and that gets you that when you dwell on those things your nervous system is going to be, be frazzled and you're going to make mistakes and stuff and you're going to be uh, uh, over judging yourself because you're not you're unsure uncertainty uncertainty causes mistakes so if you learn it and you really do your due diligence learning it correctly, you're good. So 
that was my mentality i developed right there from that day and i got the audition that we the first rehearsals and yes you're a little nervous because you're around these stars that you admire you know my i was a big jackson five fan as well like everybody else but it wasn't the time to dwell on that i was dwelling on trying to how to i got the gig how to keep the gig is what's important now so that took 100 percent focus and concentration on the gig and on the, the job at hand the, the songs listening intently to their instructions so i won't make a mistake and misjudge what they're saying i need to know exactly what they want what they're saying and all of these elements of mind control and spiritual control will help you uh, maintain your excellence or gain your excellence and maintain it and they'll want you forever and that's the thing that's how i deal with that and everybody else i've worked with it's not the time to be nervous because if you're nervous you're going to make mistakes and then you might not be there the next day that's so true and jonathan that was a very powerful answer as well like i think the key takes you've said from there is just like mind over matter you know no time to get nervous which i'm sure a lot of our listeners will take that on board as well having that confidence and reassurance but that comes through practice and of course as well probably another discussion we'll have i hope we can get you on for another day to discuss is you know the whole kind of classical training like musician versus like the musician that listens by ear because for me as well like my parents couldn't afford to like you know they could barely about just get me a classical guitar from like the local pawn shop so getting lessons back then was like a non-event they just said you have to listen to records and use your ear sound to work it out and that's how i progressed you know in, in my kind of like earlier kind of career but i think we definitely need a, a like a full kind of episode on that too but to move to the next question jonathan we know as like yeah. you being an iconic drummer a musician with such a decorated career as well and you've worked with some huge names you know in the music world such as madonna george michael elton john stevie wonder janet jackson just to name a few what has it been like to work with them and do you have any funny or memorable stories you could share with us in relation to them well i'm gonna tell you it's, it's been like the next last 43 years i've been doing this professionally and since I came out here and drove out here 3,200 miles from New Orleans, Louisiana, and it's been a little boy's dream come true on steroids. Because I always imagined being with one major artist when I come out here, and that was the rest of my life. <laughs> Encyclopedia of major people in the music industry that affected and, and kind of formulated the music industry with their creations and their artistry. And, the regard high level highest level of regard in the industry i never imagined i would have had such a, a career that I've, I've been blessed and graced and had with so many different artists of different genres and one a lot of them pop in r&b feel but they're still slightly different so different genres of music i've done a lot of rock stuff too so i as beyond the little boy's dream in new orleans he had of trying to make it so to speak in the music industry by being a drummer for the stars you know, um, I thought maybe if there was a chance, it would be one like just the Jacksons. But the people would hear me with them, and then they would call. I know Richie called. Uh, uh, then Cameo called, the leader for Cameo, Larry Bradman called. I did 38 wow. years off and on with, off and on with Cameo. Uh, um, and then, uh, then of course, everything. Madonna saw me on the, on the Jackson Victory Tour at Dodger Stadium and told her manager, because the manager told me, she said, that's my drummer. Because that was Madonna <laughs> right before her first tour, the Virgin Tour. She said, that's wow. my drummer. That's my drummer. Get him. He said, well, I know him because I managed the Jacksons when he joined the Jacksons. So it was like everything is magical that happened to me in my career. So it just so happens her manager, <laughs> new manager, was with me. Uh, I was with him. I saw the same in the Jacksons. Went my first tour ever in March of, of 79. 
and he was managing the Jackson. So he said, well, that's easy. I got, I can get him. <laughs> I worked with him before. And uh, so anyway, so I got to, with Madonna and did the Virgin tour, her first tour. And I, from that, I did the True Blue album. Then I did the, the Dick Tracy album. Then I did Like a Prayer album. That's me playing on Like a Prayer, the song. That's me playing on Open Your Heart, Live to Tell, you know, Keep It Together. And a lot of other hit songs of, of Madonna's I played on. Uh, from her sitting at Dodger Stadium and hear me and watch me and hear me play with the Jackson Brothers in 1984, 1985, I was with her and did five years with her. So um, it's it's more than a dream come true, beyond the dream that I had come true, that I was able to do um, the, the career of so many incredible artists of different beautiful styles of music and interpretations of music. And it helped me grow as a musician, as a, a songwriter, a producer, by um, working under them and under their wing. So um, I was all eyes, all ears, all spirituality, and work when I work with them to absorb as much as I can, like a, a sponge and just absorbing uh, creativity at its highest level. So it's benefited me a lot in my career. That's so inspiring to hear, Jonathan. And it's just amazing how, like you mentioned, like you would have probably just been happy with it, just being one kind of like superstar artist you get to work with. But then with your illustrious career, like you've managed to just open one door to another door and another door. And it's a testament to your talent and also your versatility to kind of pick up on those different styles and to get in the nuances and, and you know, really feel the vibe of the music as well. Because music is not just like a sound, it's a vibe, it's a feeling, you know, more than anything else as well. And on the theme of that, I think it's a great segue onto our next question, Jonathan, because I actually told my mom I was interviewing you today and she almost had a fangirl moment too. And I said to mom, I was like, mom, when you listen to Michael's music and you obviously hear Jonathan's drumming or you hear the bass or you hear the guitar or, you know, the piano or like all the instrumentation, what words could you describe Michael Jackson's music with? And she said, son, timeless, touching, omnipotent, uplifting, and in her words, she's like, Michael's music and just that generation of music, it just transcends time, generations, culture, races. And the question out of all of this, really, Jonathan, is what do you believe is the key to um, Michael's music being so revolutionary? And like, what's the magic behind it being so relevant today? I believe it's Michael's sensitivity. is his deep depth of sensitivity his deep depth of creativity and uh, every art. Oh, Jonathan, I, I don't think we can hear you. Oh, no. Hopefully. Hi there, Jonathan. Your um, connection, it's cutting in and out there. Hello. I think you were just touching on, like, you know, the creativity part. Yeah, we can hear you now. Spiritually and closer, to, I say I was equated to being closer to the source, which is God, you know, um, and 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 uh, heavily grounding, and I think people like Michael, Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, uh, um, and and with deep deep creativity, Prince, but most mostly so you can feel it in Michael's spirituality, the depth of his spirit, and Stevie Wonder, and for certain when they sing and they deliver, and and the degree of Michael's artistry of dance, he is he is like they say he is the dance, he becomes the dance, he is. And when he sings, you hear and feel so much deeper emotion than the average singer. I don't care if they're a pop star, or rock star, or whatever. They don't mm -hmm. sing with the depth of sensitivity Michael does and the purity and the purity of the soul and the spirit he can deliver it on because he really more deeply feels what he sings. 
and more deeply feels the notes and feels the, the melodies and feels the words, you know, and he delivers them. That's why uh, he can, that's why people feel it from him deep, deeper because he has a greater sense of depth of sensitivity. That was just close being spiritually closer to the source of spirituality than other people. Some some artists are, are you know got deep sensitivity, but not to the degree that Michael was endowed with when he was born, and uh, and I can say certain other artists as well, Stevie, and that's why they deliver more spiritually when they sing, and you that's why you feel it greater than if you heard another singer singing it, and and it translates, and you relate to it deeper in your spirit and soul, because um, they come from a deeper, more emotional uh, place with the uh, the gift and the talent and the delivery. They sing it from the core, you know, because the earth has a core and everything else is like, uh, that's like the uh, founded on the earth is, is the undersurface of, of the upper ground, but you get down to the core, you're closer to the to the magma of the spirit. Michael is there, he's, he's like from that place that's closer to the magma of the spirit. So um, that's why he can relate to so many generations, five, six generations of people, because he had, he was gifted with that kind of translation that is derived from a deeper place than most everybody else. And I play and I feel that when I, he and I, that's why he always wanted me with him. We was on the same level. We, we both felt that place and he felt that in me. So, um, because when I play, I feel something like otherworldly. And I basically, I tell people, I get out of the way and I let God play the drums. You know, um, that's why the people feel my beats and more because I'm coming from a deeper place. Uh, not the figures that I'm playing and the complexities of them or the simplicity of them. It's the soul that I put on. It's the feel. It's the attitude, the swing. And those things, uh, it's, it's called how much, not how much you study. Some of those things are not even studied. You got to have that in your your born sensitivity, your born relativity to the soul and the depth of soul. So um, it's in essence sensitivity. Michael is very deeply sensitive. That's why a lot of things hurt him more than any other man would withstand it, but Michael is emotionally sensitive and that's why he could translate it and make you feel his depths of sensitivity. And his music will last forever, never get old, because you know those albums were done in the early 80s, here we are, 2022. <laughs> you put on any one of those, those songs from Michael's albums, Thriller or Off the Wall, you know, bad. Most of those two, three albums where the magic really would happen on Off the Wall and Thriller. Um, you, this, this sound like you were cut yesterday from the time of yesterday, the last year, not that far away. It's still very relevant. You know, musically, uh, um, the delivery of the talent, his talent and gift, and the song arrangements and production, it was a magical time back then. It's his, his, his perfect timing for his perfect gifts. And that's why we have them today and still enjoy him, appreciate them like we just, they were just written, just performed. That was such a great answer, Jonathan. And I definitely agree with you as well in terms of like the depth of sensitivity as you touched there as well. I also feel like it's an upbringing thing. You know, when you've lived something, when you've come from a particular background and you've gone through those struggles, you know, and then you've grown through them and you understand your emotions, like you've explained with Michael as well. And then I think another great thing, which is a cool segue to the next question is, you feeling in the same space, the same spiritual connection as Michael. And 
kind of the next question we're going to get onto is that you know we know that you hold Michael and so do we like we hold him so clearly to our, closely to our hearts um you know and unfortunately like throughout his career I feel that you know there were some scandals and controversies and the media I believe were very unfair in the way they treated him the way they harassed him the way they judged him you know I felt was very wrong and I think you know when people look back on it they have a lot of remorse and so they should for the way they treated Michael. But, you know, just from your perspective, uh, Jonathan, what was like MJ like as a person outside of music? Uh, how would you like, could you touch in maybe a bit like deeper with your friendship with him and just how he was as a person? Well, he was unusual in the sense that you can feel that spirituality in him just in his presence of state of being. He was something different. When he, when a door opened, he walked in a room, the molecules in the air changed. You feel like you can pinch the air and pick out, oh, here's a red one, here's a blue one. Wow, look at that green, that emerald green one. That's the molecules in the air. It felt, you feel like they slowed down and was moving in slow motion. Something with Michael's presence. He had that power. And that comes from, like I said, that closer to the source, spirituality. And it emanated from him. You know, um, and it was just, it was part of him and not only as part of his stage life, but part of his regular life, who he was and how he was. You know, always wonder what's on his mind. He's always smiling. He's, he's always pleasant. You know, um, Michael was a very, very wonderful human being. And um, you get in this world, yeah, a lot of things become business and stuff like that. He's a true businessman in a lot of ways. But the core of Michael and how he's, his soul came to this earth and this place, this plane of life. It was it was intact to a greater the greater degree. A lot of people get corrupted by the world. His was in more intact, and part of that was due to the grooming of Michael when he was a young boy. Uh, you come here with that kind of spirituality, depth of spirituality, but you got to have the nurturers around you. And his mother, I call her mother, she was wonderful, a wonderful human, being. still is. You know, she's still with us. She's a wonderful spirited, spirited human being. And she raised him in such a wonderful way and, and, and educated him in sensitivity and care for others and, uh, um, and things in life, small and large, meaning something more than their existence. And she groomed him spiritually. So she saw, she knew she had a person of light in her, in her bloodline that was born into the world. And of all the brothers, she was the one that the light uh, drew, him in, drew her into him more because he was so sensitive and she knew he was a neat one that needed to be protected because he's recognized when somebody that deeply sensitive. So um, she, she groomed Michael to be the person of the human being that he became and he was. But uh, there was trace of it, I, traces of it that I heard in the stories uh, for before he became a star, that he was like that. He was like the fawn or the, or the, or the, the, um, the uh, what you call the baby, uh, what you call it, baby fawn delicate, sensitive, uh, vulnerable to the world mm -hmm. and needed care, extra care. And, and that's what he was. And that's how his mother raised him in the early years. And um, and he grew, he grew into a beautiful deer of a person, like a, a grown fawn turns into a beautiful deer that was always pleasant. Uh, just, just um, I should say, gracing the earth and not, not, I should say, there's a lot of, like you say, controversies, but Basically, he was like wandering the earth, sharing his gifts and sprinkling his love around the world as much as he could. 
and and like like deer are deer doesn't deers don't bother anybody they just wander in the woods and eat and what they like to eat and, and they're, they're no harm to anyone michael's sort of like that and that's why he can write such sensitive lyrics that's such great meaning that's why he cares about children he's why he cares about elderly he uh, foundations and about the earth so so much so um he's very sensitized to everything and that's life you know um, in in the planet and, and everything that exists you know so michael knew that of course from his core um foundings and that came along with the spirit and i'm that way too and that's why michael and i said like i said we parallel we, we recognize it the elders are saying that goes like recognizes like and we both have that like and light in us and he recognized my light he gravitated towards me and we always talked a lot and he said you feel the same way i do on a lot of things you know he would say that you know i say i know i have to recognize that you and i feel i feel the same thing a lot of things you say just he was trying to learn me and he realized that we were on torn from the same page and and uh, spoken from the same sentence from the same paragraph from the same book that is and uh, we grab you know we gravitate towards one another and we wanted to always play together work together and he became my dance partner so i provided the beats from the dance too and um i was inspired by his dance so i played better so anyway all oh, that's a long explanation but that's what it is but i better get going my friend is not waiting for me <laughs> i'm so sorry okay i was supposed to be 15 okay. minutes i think i'm gonna have an hour ah oh, no jonathan I'm, okay I, well I don't, mean, I don't mean to cut it off but i have to these guys came in town to work with me and i have to he's out sitting out there <laughs> and i he know he didn't want to be in here when i was on the phone so he's sitting in the, the hot sun Oh Wait no, what, Jonathan, we wouldn't want to keep you or them waiting too long, but just one more question I hope you don't mind us asking you, and it's more just about you, just generally. Um, just to wrap this episode up, Jonathan, are there any projects that you're presently working on or any ones upcoming that you, you know, you're know you working on that we can find a little bit more information about? And also, is there any messages you'd like us to circulate to the fans around the world there? Because you know, you're so well-renowned and this is going to be a huge epi- I know when this drops now, like platforms, every everyone's just going to be like, wow, that's big, that's major. So yeah, any any final messages, um, you know, before you go? There are a lot of things in, uh, that I'm working on now. And I feel like I'm in my uh, second win, second stage of my career, even wow. with all the things that I've done. Now it's me, it's me time. And I've learned so much, and I've been writing since I was 12 years old. So I'm, I just, I'm in the studio. I was in there last night doing some um, touch-up mixes on my music. I've been writing since I was 12 years old, and uh, and I've been producing. I've written for, uh, written and produced for Paramount Pictures and Coming to America movie. I have a song in there. I wrote wow. and produced it, same background on, and produced it on Chico DeBarge. So I've had published music for about film companies and stuff. So and I've written for Latoya. I've written uh, lyrics on hers, one of her songs. I've written for quite a few people. Um, so now it's time. I said, you know what? I got about 200 songs waiting in the wings that since I was feeding everybody else's career with my talent and my gift and helping them become stars. It's time for me, some me time. I felt the season. You got to feel your seasons in your life and know when to make the right steps, the right move. It's time for a change. So I'm not trying to go out with anybody else. Michael's gone. I, I, I won't do, I won't do uh, Michael impersonators. Uh, I got to be loyal to Michael and be loyal to the, the, the truth that is him. Um, I get called all the time for that stuff. So I don't really tour so, so much anymore. I, would, I am going to be doing my own tour, which is part of it's going to be Michael's uh, music, the brother's music. It's going to be a culmination of everybody I work with.
be. Yep. Oh, John's music, Madonna's music. But uh, of course, at the end, I'm going to do an hour of uh, everybody else's music, but then the last second hour is going to be all mic. And that's going to be a great, strong show because um, I'm the common, common denominator for all those people on my resume. But I'm working on my music. I In the last month, I've cut 30 songs. I've recorded wow. my own songs and uh, one or two uh, remakes. So I'm in the studio working on that now. It's forthcoming before the end of the year. By late summer, I should have. I'll be dropping songs, individual songs, before then. Say June, July, I'll be, you'll be seeing the first from me. I'm working on a lot of new videos and stuff. I got a lot of production equipment to start producing a lot of videos. By the end of the year, you'll be flooded with videos, uh, new videos from me. Uh, I'm, I'm working, I just spoke to someone for that um, approached me for a book project. I've been always wanting to do a coffee table book, uh, oversized coffee table book of my life and career. And uh, um, of course my story, magical story. And then um, a lot of elements from my life. I save everything from every tour. I have statisticals. I got all the tour programs. I got tour tour uh, um, itineraries. I got uh, great photographic uh, library. I got very good video library. Oh, Jonathan, I think you've cut out there for us. We can you hear us, Jonathan? Oh no, I think we've lost the connection. Hopefully, his reception improves. Let's we'll wait a couple of seconds and see if. Oh no. Well, guys, um, we, unfortunately, that one ended a bit abruptly because uh, I guess Jonathan's reception just wasn't so great. And obviously he's on the move, but we still like really, really, really appreciate his time. That was such a meaningful conversation. I took away so many nuggets of information and just like, you know, stories there, which was so insightful, you know, and his work rate is so impeccable and really, really inspiring just to even see at his stage of his career, like, most people would be content, you know, having lived off of like, I guess, the success that they've had, you know, previously with one of the biggest stars in the world. But to see that he still wants to go, he still wants to innovate himself, he still wants to push and create new music and, you know, touch people in the ways that, you know, with modern music, you can argue there's a bait that hasn't been so present. I think it's amazing, you know, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that new content as well. And hopefully at some stage we can get Jonathan to come to the UK as well, because it'd be amazing to go and see him in, in person as well. And, you know, I was too young probably to watch Michael when I was, uh, when Michael was still like, you know, around. So I guess this would be probably the, the best experience to, to get to that. So, you know, a huge shout out to Jonathan Sugarfoot Moffat for his time this afternoon. It was really amazing to have him here. Um, I feel touched and very inspired by all of his kind words and uh, meaningful kind of um, responses here today. And um, I really pray that at some stage or point in the future, we can get him on for another episode. I'm pretty sure Georgina's going to work on Magic Wand. We talked about a lot of magic, and Georgina's quite a magical person too. So I'm very positive that we'll make that work out. But um, in other words, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this very uh, surprise impromptu episode. I can see that Georgina's just uh, sent me another message saying that we will try and get Jonathan back at some stage so we can de de like delve into some of the other stuff as well. So many like um, just like rabbit holes and just other kind of ways we could have ventured into the conversations there. But uh, nonetheless, we're super grateful and thankful for his time, you know, because it, it just means so much to us and it's a great conversation. So um, guys, we will be back again with a couple more episodes later this week. But until then, we hope that you stay healthy. We hope that you stay successful. We hope that you stay prosperous. And as always, keep your eyes out also for the YouTube channel. 
going to be uploading the um, podcast there as well. There'll be some live episodes where we're going to get you guys on there on top of that too. So, um, yeah, really exciting times ahead for Stripping the Dipping. Um, Denzel Clarkson, a.k.a. Block Nose Boy, <laughs> going to go and uh, get some lem sip and uh, try and get some rest because uh, we've got some other episodes to record later in the week. But until then, guys, thank you as always for your support. And uh, yeah, um, we'd love to hear back from you. Just put any comments or any insights or you know feedback from this episode, because I know that there's a lot of talking points. And uh, yeah, I hope, we, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, because this was really mega. But until then, take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>